T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thank you for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. Among the many policy changes from the Obama administration to the Trump White House has been how the federal non-discrimination law, Title IX, is interpreted to apply to transgender students. You'll remember the Obama administration directed schools to allow transgender kids to use restrooms and locker rooms according to the gender they identify with, or those schools would risk losing federal funding. The Trump administration rescinded those protections and has now left Title IX interpretation to the individual states and individual school districts. Several lawsuits from varying states are making their way through federal district courts over this very issue. California, though, is not one of those states for which this is a divisive issue. In 2013, California passed Assembly Bill 1266, the Student Success and Opportunity Act. That guarantees the right of transgender students to participate in school programs and use facilities according to their gender identity. And on the day the Trump administration announced the rollback of the Obama transgender student protections, California's superintendent of public instruction, Tom Torlakson, publicly stated that California students would continue to have their civil rights protected. My guest this weekend on KCBS In-Depth has a deep knowledge of both the legal and human components of this issue. Asaf Orr is the Transgender Youth Project staff attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Based in San Francisco, the NCLR is an LGBT civil rights legal organization representing people in cases against discrimination around the nation. Asaf Orr was the lead attorney in the critical California case, Student v. Arcadia Unified School District. That resulted in agreement that Title IX protects transgender kids from discrimination in school, including when accessing restrooms, locker rooms, and sex-separated activities and programs. I'm very grateful he's joining us today on KCBS In-Depth. Welcome, Asaf Orr. We're happy to have you here. And let me start by asking about the current legal scenario for transgender youth. We know that before President Obama left office, his White House, his presidential guidance on the use of Title IX was protection for transgender kids to use the school bathroom or any bathroom as to how they identify their own gender. Uh, the Trump White House has since rescinded that order, but this, but Title IX was a, is a federal law. So can you help us legally understand where we are with this federal law and how it's possible for states to be now under the Trump administration to be left to their own decision making as to protections for these kids? Yeah, and I think when you look at the rescission of the guidance, I think you have to look both at the legal consequences as well as the social consequences. I think one of the key things that came out of the Obama guidance, which came from the U.S. Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Justice, was that trans kids need to be treated like all other kids. 
all students access restrooms, locker rooms, and other facilities and activities based on gender identity, based on their actual sex. And what this guidance said was that trans kids need to be treated in the same way that their peers are. Um, and that was based not only on the statute itself, Title IX, but also the way the courts have interpret, been interpreting the term sex in federal law for, for, for decades. And essentially what happened when the Trump administration rescinded that guidance, it just rescinds their interpretation. It does not change the law in any way. It does not undo the decades of federal case law interpreting sex uh, as including transgender people. It does not change the language of the statute. The statute still prohibits sex discrimination. What the, what the Trump administration has done is unfortunately uh, is shirking its responsibility to enforce federal law. And there are a number of cases in addition to Gavin Grimm's case, which has gotten a lot of press recently, uh, but there's also a case in Wisconsin, another in Ohio, that are essentially challenging or clarifying, I should say, uh, that Title IX not only includes transgender students, uh, but also that when it comes to restrooms, that transgender students are to be treated just like every other kid. We should refresh listeners about Gavin Grimm, uh, West Virginia or Virginia? Virginia. Virginia student uh, who is going through the court system for his right to use the bathroom that matches his gender. Uh, and the Supreme Court was going to hear that case later this month, but they've since said no. Can you explain why they've chosen not to hear it? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but not entirely unsurprising. Um, the reason was is that the the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the intermediate appellate court, when it made its ruling, uh, really relied heavily on the fact that the federal government's interpretation of Title IX was that it included trans kids, and trans kids need to be treated consistent uh, with their gender identity like everybody else. Uh, now, with the rescission of that guidance, um, really all the Supreme Court has done is said to the Fourth Circuit, hey, we want you to take another look at this. Um, and, you know, typically the U.S. Supreme Court does not take cases when the federal courts haven't had a chance to really look at it. And so Gavin Grimm was the or the Gavin Grimm's case, was the first case that uh, really got that far. Um, and so now there's another case that's being argued uh, in the Seventh Circuit, which is uh, Wisconsin and Illinois area. Um, and there will be soon a case that, that NCLR is working directly on uh, in the Sixth Circuit, which is Ohio. All right. So with, that, with, with this change in guidance from the feds, that's why the Supreme, the Supreme Court's decision not to take the case was in, in, in no way indicative of whether or not these cases have merit, but it had to go back to the circuit level for further adjudicating based on the new guidance from the White House. Is that correct? Uh, well, essentially, w yes, because what, what happened was the Fourth Circuit relied on something that's no longer there. Um, and so what the Supreme Court wanted the Fourth Circuit to do was to say, take another look at this, um, look at the actual statutory arguments about does... Uh, Title IX itself and the statute of Title IX require this. Um, and, you know, we remain confident that the Fourth Circuit uh, will interpret or, you know, ensure that uh, transgender students are protected under Title IX, uh, just like all other kids. Um, and, you know, looking across the country, um, 
you know, again, we've talked a lot about Gavin Grimm, but the the case in Wisconsin uh, and the case in Ohio, uh, in both of those cases, the district courts, which is the trial level courts, have ordered the school districts to allow uh, the particular transgender plaintiffs in those cases to use the restroom uh, that is consistent with their gender identity or their actual sex. Um, and there have been other cases. There was a, more recently in, Phil, in uh, Pennsylvania, another uh, district court judge uh, required a school district. There were three transgender plaintiffs in that case that all three plaintiffs get to use uh, the restroom based on their actual sex as well. What's the California state law? I mean, have we had any of these uh, conflicts in California? We haven't had to have any of these conflicts in California, um, at least not based on state law. Um, recently, starting in January of 2014, uh, state law has been explicitly clear that um, you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity in California. And that means that when it comes to restrooms, locker rooms, sports, and other sex-separated activities, that transgender students are to be treated like all other students um, and treated consistent with their gender identity. Um, You know, California state law has protected gender identity for well over a decade, uh, but more recently uh, with AB 1266, the California legislature decided to uh, clarify that that also included uh, facilities and activities. We're talking about the needs and rights of transgender students in California and the United States. And my guest on KCBS In-Depth is Asaf Orr, the Transgender Youth Project staff attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights, based here in San Francisco. I'm Jane McMillan. You've used the term uh, biology, uh, gender identification, and I think that can be confusing for a lot of people who maybe don't have a transgender person in their life. And so trying to sort out when you say, well, wait, when you say biology, isn't that the same as anatomy? So how could someone have the anatomy of one sex but identify or gender but identify with another? So maybe we should just start with the basics about a transgender person and what they go through and their identity. Sure. So every person uh, has a gender identity. Every person has a biological sex. And that person's biological sex is made up of a number of different factors, including external and internal organs, uh, chromosomes, uh, and their endocrine system. Uh, but it also includes gender identity. And for most people, all those factors align, either male or female. Uh, For transgender people, most of those factors align, except their gender identity does not match uh, their the other factors, most typically uh, external reproductive organs. So their anatomy. Their anatomy. So we cannot use uh, it's inaccurate and it's inaccurate to use biology and anatomy interchangeably. Right. It's inaccurate to say that a transgender man is not biologically male. He is biologically male. Uh, He was born male. Uh, The problem is that he was identified, likely identified as female based on a very cursory look at uh, his genitalia. His his outward anatomy only. That's correct. Okay. So tell us about how early uh, new studies are showing that gender identity, uh, that kids start to feel this disconnect or or identify in different ways at a much earlier age. Right. And so the 
in the DSM-5, uh, which is published by the American Psychiatric Association, uh, they recognize that children become aware of their gender identity between ages of two and four years old. So this is something that is, uh, one, very innate in in people, and they become aware of it early. Um, whether or not a person decides to uh, express uh, what their gender identity is, uh, if it doesn't, if it's not consistent with the sex that they were assigned at birth, um, you know, is related to a whole number of factors that you know are too are too numerous to even list, let alone consider. Um, but we do know that kids become aware of it at very young ages. And so, what happens usually? Uh, when a child is starting to question um, within the family structure, then within the school structure, and in Western society, we still have very delineated roles that we expect of male and female, children or adults. And I think it's different for every kid, right? And some kids and some trans people will sort of have an awareness of a feeling of difference, but not really be able to put a finger on it until later in life. But for those kids who are very clear about it, uh, about that their gender identity or that their actual sex does not match the sex they were assigned at birth, it can really manifest in a number of ways. But usually, because these kids don't have the uh, the, the, fil- the social filters we adults have, or older kids maybe even have, uh, they'll just say to their parents things like, I know you think I'm a boy, but I'm actually a girl. Um, and that really starts the, the process. Um, some parents... Uh, will immediately say, okay, and allow their child some freedom to explore their gender. Um, And other parents might respond saying, oh, that's cute. This is a phase. Um, And so, you know, kids respond differently in in all those scenarios. But the one thing that is consistent across all of it is that transgender kids are insistent, consistent, and persistent in their expressions of who they really are. And we, we also need to be clear that trans, transgender does not mean transsexual. Transsexual is someone who has undergone the, the anatomical change and is physically as well as biologically the sex that they've chosen, correct? So transsexual is a term that some people still use. Some people find it offensive. Mm. Some don't. Uh, but typically... Uh, it has been used as a way to sort of subdivide the transgender population as between folks that haven't had genital reconstructive surgery and those that have. So what, what we're, we as a society are doing as we learn more, the, the society at large, um, is to understand, again, it seems like it's this hang up on the physical anatomy that we are using only as outsiders to say this is who you male or you female are when that is that's always been the deciding uh, factor. It's what we look for in ultrasounds. Is, is it going to be a boy or a girl? But but again, what we're learning here and, and you're reinforcing is that that is a really small, it's just one of the alignments, one of the one of the entities to align as to our own gender identity and how we feel. Right. And and for most people, that works out. And that's why we continue using the system. But uh, we need to be clear that it's not 100 percent correct. Tell us about what what you find um, are the the spots where um, emotionally, legally in the society right now, transgender kids are running into roadblocks. Is it 
is the first time in the classroom, is the first time uh, in a bully situation, at a doctor's office, at where where are you seeing in your work uh, where that realization that, oh, I, I feel differently than what people are assuming I am, and it becomes a conflict for a child. That really depends on the kid sometimes, and you know, it depends on lots of different factors. Um, you know, sometimes it is at the home because the parents are uncertain about whether or not to allow their child to explore their gender um, and be a little bit more fluid as they sort of figure out who they are. And so that may cause the kid to experience some level of distress. Sometimes it's school's the first time. Uh, because school has a lot of very rigid gender rules. That's the sort of the first time that they run into it. You know, but it could also come up at the doctor's office or in a bullying situation. I think one of the things that I meant to mention earlier in talking about the rescission of the guidance is the sort of the social effect of what that rescission meant. You know, although legally it didn't change anything, the message that it sent to transgender kids to school administrators, to the peers of transgender kids is really negative. You know, less than a year ago, Loretta Lynch, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, got up in front of cameras and, you know, was very clear that the Department of Justice and the federal government stands behind transgender people and stands with them uh, in, in their struggle for equality. And to have that essentially walked back entirely is difficult. And it also sends the message to, for example, these peers that, you know, it's okay to uh, bully trans kids because they're different. And to school administrators indicates, oh, well, maybe I don't need to to treat transgender kids equally. Um, And in reality, that just does a lot of harm. Have you seen a distinct difference, an uptick, a, a downtick in cases or complaints of discrimination on behalf of trans kids since the White House walked back the Obama protections? I think that a lot of instances, a lot of school districts were sort of waiting to see what happened with the Gavin Grimm case. Um, And so the rescission of the guidance didn't have that much effect on even school districts. And I think one of the main reasons beyond what happened with the the Gavin Grimm case was that the reality is that affirming transgender students and treating them equally has become best practices in the education world. The NEA, the National Association of Secondary School Principals, a number of school mental health organizations have come out very clearly stating that it is critical to ensure that transgender kids are treated equally in school, uh, that it is essential to creating a safe and welcoming learning environment, not only for the trans kid, but for all kids, right? Because when we're talking about trans kids, when they're bullied, it's often they're bullied because they're not conforming to sex stereotypes of being male or being female. Trans kids aren't the only kids that are affected by that type of bullying and harassment. Um, Many kids are, and not just LGBT kids. Um, And so when you make clear and create a school culture that this type of behavior is not going to be tolerated, you're not only telling the LGBT and the trans kids in particular that they are welcome and they can, you know, thrive in this environment, but you're also telling other kids that it's not okay to bully and harass based on gender stereotypes. Have you actually seen a change, though, in in 
in reported cases of harassment or discrimination charges uh, since this change in guidance from the White House? As you said, it, it sends a message. Have you seen any ramifications from from that message change? Trans kids are experiencing this kind of bullying every day. And the message that was sent was that, you know what, you can't complain to the federal government anymore. That has a really silencing effect on families. You know, the federal government used to be a place where these families could easily file a complaint. Um, and whether or not they're able to access or even know to call a place like National Center for Lesbian Rights, you know, I hope they would reach out. But the reality is that, you know, in, in a lot of these places, the student is struggling with just being out in general. Um, and so to sort of take it to the next step and file any kind of complaint can be daunting. If you're just tuning in, we are talking with Asaf Orr, the Transgender Youth Project staff attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Based here in San Francisco, the NCLR is a civil rights legal organization representing LGBT people in cases against discrimination all around the country. I'm Jane McMillan. What are some of the other challenges? What what don't the rest of us understand that we should understand? And I should mention that just recently, I think because of uh, the discrimination cases and the the bathroom school bathroom issue is that there have been new documentaries and more attention paid and some understanding, but still there's a lot to be learned. So what don't we know about these kids and these adults who are uh, in this position and not necessarily feeling supported? Right. I think probably one of the most critical things is that these families are just like every other family. Um, you know, they are, they have kids who have a, um, unique need that they have learned to, to work through, right? There is, um, their kid came to them and said, I'm not who you think I am. And, you know, the, those parents have done what all parents do. They've talked to healthcare providers, they've talked to peers, they've talked, they've tried to find information, they read, um, and they are really thoughtful. And these kids are really thoughtful too. Um, these kids, you know, often we hear, you know, my kid just told me yesterday that, that, that they're transgender and they, they already are transitioning so fast. And uh, that's the feeling of parents. The reality is the kids have been thinking about it for years. Um, that kids really... Um, this is something that's so a core part of who they are um, that denying it in any in any sense uh, is really harmful, and they just they can't actually live with it anymore, uh, being just internal to them. You know, these families are they're just like everybody else. They're loving families. They've got siblings and all the other problems that all <laughs> all their families have too. But the population does face risk. It faces some unique risks. Absolutely. And what research has shown is that uh, the level of family acceptance or rejection is the single most determinative factor of a young person's short and long-term health and well-being. Um, what the study specifically shows, the more rejecting behaviors uh, a child experiences in, in the home, uh, the more likely they are to have longer-term mental health issues and things like that. Where on the flip side, uh, the more acceptance that they experience in the home is a protective factor and really helps them cope uh, with the discrimination or mistreatment they may experience out in the world. Because there isn't always the understanding right out of the gate, there may be at home, but in society in general, 
what do these kids in particular face in terms of mental health or self-drug, self-medicating either alcohol or drug issues or homelessness issues or academic issues, not due to anything that's their own fault, just from either the, the challenge or the lack of support? Yeah, and so what we know is that when when kids are supported, they can they have the capacity to thrive just like any other sure. kid, um, and just like all their kids when they're not supported, they engage in uh, unhealthy behaviors. Um, there is certainly some indication that transgender youth and transgender and the transgender population in general are disproportionately represented in statistics like suicide attempts, uh, engaging in substance use, other high-risk behaviors, uh, homelessness, and things like that. Um, But what we're seeing now, and I think is the really critical thing to focus on, is that when we support and affirm these kids, they have the capacity to thrive and be uh, contributing citizens just like any other kid. And so it's really critical that when parents see this in their homes, uh, that they seek out the information they need, that they seek out resources, and there are tons of resources that are now out there, uh, and really do provide their, their child with the opportunity to explore their gender and to be who they are. What would you say to people who might not know what is considered harassment or bullying or so as, you know, the attorney who would be taking a look at some of these issues. You said uh, if your child, your trans child experiences any of the following, you should call me or you should call our organization or you should seek help. What what is the litmus test for a parent or a teacher or anybody that, that needs some information on what they should do to be supportive and when it's time to call in uh, and bring something to the attention of the legal community. So I think, you know, the difficulty is bullying and harassment can look at so many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, very common ones are, you know, using the incorrect name or pronoun for a transgender student consistently. Um you know, and then there's obviously the the physical harassment, which happens the pushing into lockers or physical assault or threats uh, of physical violence. And I think the the critical thing is keep really great notes, keep doc- document it not only for yourself, uh, so you have uh, a record of what has happened, but it's also really important to involve the school administration as soon as possible. Uh, the school administration is not liable for the bullying and harassment happening. They're liable for their if they don't respond properly. And if they don't know about it, they can't respond. And so the critical thing as an educator or as a parent, not only do you want to document, have your, have your child document these incidents for themselves, but also really making sure that you're documenting it to the school administration. And you're also documenting not only that it happens, but how it's affecting the, your child. Or the student, you know, are they developing school phobia? Are their grades dropping? What are the the actual effects of the bullying and harassment? And if the school district is really not responding to the reports, or your child or the student's condition continues to worsen, uh, that's certainly a sign that you might want to reach out to a lawyer. With regards to cases that we take, uh, we really look to advance the the rights of the entire LGBT community and people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, And so we take cases that um, seek to change the law. 
and improve uh, strengthen rights and improve the way that uh, courts are interpreting particular laws. Um, and we look nationally to represent families all over the country. If folks would like to go to your website, can you give that to us? Sure. The website is www.nclrights.org. And we'll put a link on our website. That's cbssf.com. Asaf Orr, thank you so much for your time today and your expertise on this issue. Thank you. My guest on KCBS In-Depth has been Asaf Orr, the Transgender Youth Project Staff Attorney for the National Center for Lesbian Rights, based here in San Francisco. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. In-Depth is produced by Cheryl Raines. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.